Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi and welcome to the new format of Two Pints of Maggots and a Packet of Hooks, the fishing podcast. As always, we will stick to our structure of the press pack and the tackle shed, but replacing the big chat feature which we've had since the very start of our podcast series is is something new, which is called The Forum. And I'm hoping that this will bring a different angle, a different element to the podcast where we're going to have a bunch of guests chatting amongst themselves, chewing the fat if you like, and talking about lots of different subjects throughout uh, angling. Now, in this episode, it's a real special one because we bring back angling media royalty in the form of Keith Arthur. He is still the number one most listened to episode out of all the podcasts. So episode one, series one, he's still way ahead above everybody else in terms of listens. So we had to get him back because the theme or the subject, if you like, is all about angling media in the forum. Not only Keith, but we've got Alex, Alex Doherty um, from Lindholm Fisheries, um, former Golden Rod winner. And of course, we've got Tony. Tony, I'm not even going to attempt his second name. You can tell you that later on. But Tony is the features editor from Improve Your Course Fishing. So lots and lots of chat going to take place about the evolution of the information that we take on board when it comes to fishing and the fishing media. So sit back, relax, have a little listen to Two Packs of Maggots and a Packet of Hooks, the fishing podcast. Diving straight into the press pack and I don't really know where to start because it's been just over a month since we had our last episode of the podcast and there seems to be a cacophony of information out there and new stories and and, and new tackle launches etc so bit of a tough one so let's keep this nice and simple and keep to the printed press. Uh, First of all Angling Times we'll stick to this month May the 3rd a couple of things that caught my eye um the first one would be in terms of catches, a £41 15-ounce pike from Chew Valley Reservoir. And this was um, brought to the bank by former international fly angler Ben Bangham. <laughs> and he does this a couple of times a year, apparently, at this time of the year as well. Um, he fishes a 10-weight rod, which is beefed up for predators and uses a specific fly. And according to his his catch report, if you like, he saw this fish following his fly in the retrieve and he he thought it was a, you know, a 20 pounder. 
once it engulfed the fly and he'd hooked it and the fight was on, he saw the fish froze at oh, 30. Well, little did he know, of course, when he weighed it, it went over 40 pounds. So an unbelievable catch, really. As I say, Chew Valley Reservoir and it seems at this time of the year, uh, the pike, after they finish their spawning and whatnot, become pretty active um, once again. Imagine that pike sort of six months ago when they were really on the feed, um, ready for spawning. That, that could have been way more than what it weighed already. So well done to Ben. That was brilliant. Uh, another thing worth noting, it happens every year. Um, a lot of focus on it this year as well. Now that restrictions, if you like, are back to normal. National Fishing Month. So that will come this August. So it correlates with the school holidays. Loads of events taking place from various charities and the Angling Trust. So check it out at www.nationalfishingmonth.com. A big theme throughout the magazine last week as well was uh, tench. And absolutely, as soon as spring uh, ticks it over, you, you think that May things start warming up and, and, and you automatically think tench. Tench are by far my favourite fish. I just don't get to catch them enough. Um, there's not a great deal uh, of them in a lot of commercial waters, matches, etc. Um, certainly not in rivers, which are focused on in sort of autumn and winter. Um, there is a lot around the drains in my area, which I've not really had a chance to attack just yet. So hopefully that could be something this year. Um, and I've got my eye on a couple of relatively untouched or, or low low fished, if you like, venues close by, uh, which I do believe hold tension. So it's just a case of trying to find time. But in there, you know, there is a list of, in Angling Times, there's a list of 10 top venues to target all over the country. Loads of tips and tricks, loads of articles and features. There's one in there about uh, what would be the ultimate rig for attention, and they highlight uh, like a helicopter-style rig with a little foam pop-up with with maggots on the hook. So that's in there. How to pre-bait, what ground bait mixes. So yeah, May really does equal uh, like a tench month, I guess. Um, and as I say, by far my favourite fish. Just don't catch enough of them. Um, need to make time. Match-wise, uh, it was advertised, of course. Drennan Barnsley Bucks had won the commercial national at Lindholm Lakes. No surprise there. Really solid performers in that neck of the woods. Um, but it's not just the fact that, you know, Lindholm is pretty much a home water for a lot of them anglers. But um, actually, they've backed it up more than that. This is their third title this year already with a winter league success and also the census challenge, which is a completely different way of fishing. Of course, census challenge, uh, usually on the Gloucester canal that involves a lot of bloodworm joker fishing, um, international style fishing, if you want. So what this squad is showing now is complete versatility. They're really dominating the domestic team fishing scene for sure. Um, and the question is who's going to step up to the plate and beat them? Um, the likes of the, you know, Diowa Dawkins of this world that used to be their main challengers and, and starlets, etc. They, you know, that's, uh, uh, it seems that Barnsley are pulling away from, from all those guys. So well done to them, 100%. And Ollie Scott on was, uh, was also the individual winner. So it was a bit of a double header for, uh, for Barnsley at the commercial national. Speaking of match fishing as well, um, our good old mate, Tommy Pickering. He has just been included into a new team that's been created for a new event called the Masters Feeder Team. Um, they'll be heading out to Spain in September on the uh, Guadiar River in Merida. The team will consist of a couple of former guests, actually. We've got Tom Pickering and Darren Cox, as well as Simon Fry, Andrew Moss and Richard Vaughan. 
So good luck to the chaps. I know how important uh, fishing for his country is for, for Tommy Pickering. And I'm sure Darren as well will be uh, more than happy to get his three lines back on his chest. Um, so an interesting event, feeder only over two days, international style, of course. And with Tom being the ex-feeder manager, um, he'll captain the team and I'm sure they'll do very, very well out there. We wish them all the best. Uh, on to this week's Angling Times. Where are my notes? I made a couple of notes on this because uh, there was one fish uh, and it was a rud. A guy called Ben Taplin attacked a gravel pit with like a worm and corn hook bait. They pre-baited a couple of areas and this £2.12 ounce rud came to the bank. He was targeting them. And, and that's the theme of this week's magazine. So last week was tench. This week it's more about rud. And you think you put those two species together and they really do encapsulate spring and summer don't they seeing the rud feed on the surface and and the tench scrubbing around on the bottom seeing little bubbles popping up all across the lake next to lily pads etc so yeah a really interesting um magazine for that species this week because lots of tips lots of tricks once again so tench last week rud this week um another little article check out arthur's archives our good mate keith arthur who is uh, part of the forum on this very show he talks about the history of the method feeder beginning in 1982 by two chaps um, fishing a very, very silty lake um, in Kent. And how can they overcome that? He took a feeder and it sinks straight into the silt. He throws some balls of ground bait in straight into the silt. So how can they catch these bream? And that's where the MSTAT feeder uh, was created and then adapted by Andy Finley down the line to, to what we have today uh, in its many, many forms, uh, but the same principle. So that's Angling Times. Let's have a little look at the monthlies. Firstly, improve your course fishing for this month. So it is edition, let me get this right, 389 from May the 3rd to June the 7th. A couple of good articles kicking off straight away. Nice features with um, Loughborough Canal for a start, Grand Union Canal, Loughborough. Now, I've never fished this stretch, but my old mate Scott Johnson, who runs uh, Saw Tackle, this is his neck of the woods. And I know he rates this, the, the, this uh, canal in this area very highly and that is demonstrated by a stunning net of perch by a chap called Tom Boyce. Really nice net of fish on the Grand Union Canal. Never fished it myself but like I say I know people that do rate it. Then you've got young lady Lottie Wooten. She's been in the magazines a few times. Uh, up and coming rising star. Catching Bream. Baden Hall. But the one that caught my eye the main one with an ironic catching of the eye is let me get the page page 35 chap called chris ponsford top all rounder proves that you don't need to break the bank or haul a mountain tackle for a memorable day out now he's at dock hall pools and he's on the mickey mouse lake and i'm looking at that image it's page 34 35 with uh, a twisted irony because in the background is a bridge that spans between the two lakes that link up there and, and those who listen regular to this show will know that i'm a massive fan of dock hall pools i've just not been back for a few years because i've got the little one and uh, to stay there it's an adults only so um just not a chance to get there but that bridge on page 34 is where i slipped and broke my ankle in three places <laughs> so every time i see that it's got a, a bittersweet memory the point is in terms of this feature a simple waggler setup feeding casters on this like mickey mouse it's a brilliant mixed water anyway you're going to catch chub tench you're just talking about perch eyed cap all sorts um at docklow on the mickey so if you fancy a spot of silverfish sport or actually let's call it mixed bag sport 
certainly Docklow is is one of those venues that you know every time the float goes under, you don't know what it's going to be. So I read that with a with a sort of a, a, a bit of a an uncomfortable feel when I saw that bridge. But the venue holds so many memories for me, and that type of fishing is brilliant. Just a waggler with casters, seeing what drags that float underneath using simple tactics. So, yes, that is uh, Docklow Pools on page 35. Page 47, another Northwest fellow angler chap. Um, fished against many times, Gaz, Gareth Gibbons. He's fishing at a lovely venue. I think I've spoke about this before. Um, big fan. When I lived in the Northwest, didn't really fish it as much as I should have done, to be honest. called Old Huff. Um, long story short, he's just fishing with one tin of corn and see what props along, saying that, you know, a couple of grains of corn, uh, you don't need to feed loads and loads of bait, etc., etc. And Old Huff is is a really, really nice venue, I have to say. Um, and Gaz talks about, you know, he's set up there and fishing nice and simple. So that is well worth a read as well. And then finally, on page 92, a lovely story, uh, The Adventures of a Fishing Family. So there was a competition last year in the magazine to find uh, Search for a Star. And it was in conjunction with Shakespeare Tackle, classic brand. Um, I think everybody growing up probably had either one of those blue Shakespeare boxes or an item of tackle for Shakespeare. Well, they have evolved over time and um, they're bringing a lot of tackle to try and get people into the sport. And of course, at different genres as well. They do some specimen kit as well and, and some beginner starter kits. And I'll talk through them in the tackle shed. But this this piece, uh, who won the competition? Dad Stu, Mum Meg and her two sons, Cosmo and Milo, 14 and 9. Um, and they go out fishing together. Variety of venues, variety of species. They're catching a bit of all sorts. Little perch, little roach, some bonus bream. Nice roach, nice perch for Dad. Bit of everything. So that is a nice feature that will continue running. I look forward to, to reading their escapades. Uh, you know, think about that, taking the family out fishing and all involved. What a great way to do things rather than sat at home and, you know, kids are on the PlayStation and getting out, getting the fresh air and uh, and catching some fish. So that's improve your course fishing. Now, match fishing this month, I must admit, I've not had chance to digest it all. It was a little bit late onto my doorstep. But there is one thing that stands out straight away, which I were headed to immediately and that was to page 26 he's on the front cover as well page 26 is bob nudd at 78 and there's a full interview in here uh, regarding his um involvement with the england veterans team etc etc and do you know what it's just bob nudd for me is a bit of an icon i mean we've got one two three this is over sort of an eight page spread and rightly so um, still active, still fishing, still catching lots of fish, still on the Irish scene as well. It's, you know, representing England and the veteran scene. Uh, Bob Nudd to me is a, you know, is a, is a legend. As a kid growing up, those DVDs, those tips and tricks of just simple things like tying knots and simple feeding presentation, his style of delivery um, on those early videos. And, and that sort of leads me into the section for the forum. And um, it was his inspirational videos, him and Keith, Keith Arthur, when I was a youngster, that really got me, got me the bug, if you like, certainly for match fishing, that is for sure. And uh, yeah, what a wonderful read when he talks about, you know, when he won that world championship in 94 on home soil. And it's all in there. It's well worth a read. You just, you know, it's Bob Nudd. Now, I, 
I have tried to get Bob onto the podcast, but alas, I haven't been successful. But um, if you do have a listen, Bob, then you are more than welcome anytime. That is for sure. Now, next page, page 34. Our good mate Alex, Alex Doherty, again, he's in the forum coming up very, very soon. And he actually alludes to um, the, the, some of these tactics that he's used in the past, feeding a method in the margins. He's at Lindholm, of course. He's home water, if you like. He's an absolute expert. Some brilliant tips for fishing that rod down the edge. And a lot of this is born out of the feeder league that happens there every Tuesday. And actually, at the back of that, Shimano will be launching a new event this year by Nick Speed, um, which will have a feeder league that goes around different venues, culminating in a final I think it's around October time at Lindholm. So this feeder league, it was feeder and bomb league. You know, you can use two tactics. Um, is really caught the imagination, working really well, and is now growing a wee bit. And Alex talks about this because when you're fishing those, they're normally on a Tuesday. You can't get your waggler rod, your pole, etc. You know, you've got to fish a rod and line. And uh, of course, you want to fish down the edge. You've got to adapt your method or your hybrid feed or whatever. That's what he talks about in this section here. So again, well worth a read. It gets you thinking of how to approach your margin slightly differently. So take a look. Loads of stuff going on. Um, new events, new target species, you know, as the weather changes, um, some good catches in the weekly media. So yeah, take a look. But that's it for the press pack. The next section is brand new and it's called The Forum. Teddy Fisher Baits specialise in the manufacture of fishing ground bait and additives. We combine a 40-year-old proven fish catching recipe and the experience of our skilled team. Fishing is an adventure, and here at Teddy Fisher, we strive to make that adventure a success. Go to www.teddyfisher.co.uk to see our full range of baits. Hello and welcome to the new segment of the podcast. The new section, as I said in my monologue to this episode, is called The Forum. And the idea behind it is we're going to bring together some top, top anglers to discuss different subjects and offer various opinions. So for this very first forum, the topic, amongst other things, I'm sure, will focus on the angling media. That is the focus of this very, very first forum. Um, and we've got a treat in store in terms of our three guests, because firstly, and no introduction is needed whatsoever. He is angling media royalty for sure. He's still number one in terms of listeners for um, the podcast. Series one, episode one, Mr. Keith Arthur. How are you, sir? I'm pretty good. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm bearing up under all the strains. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. The aches and strains, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, welcome back, Keith. And I'm sure we'll have lots to contribute on this one. Second, <laughs> we have at the opposite end of the vintage spectrum, I'm sure Keith won't mind me saying, is the young'un. It's Mr. Alex Doherty, of course, a former Golden Rod winner and uh, the expert and coach at Lindholm Fisheries. Alex, how are you, lad? I'm good, mate. How are you? Um, keeping well? I am very well, mate. So you're more than welcome back to the podcast. And last but not least, a new guest for uh, the podcast. And I'm not even going to attempt to say his surname because uh, you're going to do this for me, Tony. But um, 
features editor improve your course fishing magazine i talk about it every single episode in the press pack um, and we're going to get to the the crux of of talking about the printed press and the printed media but it's tony g now that sounds like a second rate dj so tony tell us all your second name <laughs> surname tony gregorius which uh looks like Grigor jevs but uh, it's Latvian roots make it Gregorius. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good name for getting rid of the cold callers, that is, mate, when they get comfortable. <laughs> well, I'd rather you introduce yourself than I do, mate, that is for sure. But you're going to be instrumental in this uh, this episode, that is for sure, because uh, you're there, you're at the coal face, if you like, you're out and about daily doing features, doing editorials, um, and give us a real insight. But I think as part of the topic, I want to kick off with yourself, Keith, because... You've seen a lot, right? You know, you were at the forefront of Anglin Media for so many, many years. And now in Anglin Times on a weekly basis, you are the local um, historian, I, I guess to say, is Arthur's Archives. Cast your mind back and have a little think back to when you was a youngster, if you like. How did you consume any sort of angling media per se? Was it all just passed down word of mouth shown on the bank? Was there any instructional magazines or anything whatsoever? How did it start when you was a youngster? Well, when I was a proper youngster, the angling media was Mr. Crabtree Gross Fishing. Mm, yes. That came out when I was five or six angling time started when i was seven um and it was no yes seven um and i think it's 70 next year i think it started in 53 and the first editor was bernard benables who was mr crabtree of course who, who yeah who, who who designed mr crabtree and when the daily mirror said to him we better have a fishing feature because you do gardening at the minute and we need and mr crabtree was a gardener who dug up some worms and took them fishing and mr crabtree goes fishing was born and um basically that's a bit of a precy but you know um yeah it, it there wasn't really any angling media that the, the um Angling Times proudly had on the back printed in Britain as a newspaper or printed in England as a newspaper. So it could be posted cheaper than a magazine because it was actually a newspaper came out every week and it had the news in. And I mean, I, I probably didn't buy Angling Times till I, till I was properly into match fishing, with a, which would have been the late 1960s, early 1970s, really. And, yeah. and then the Angling Times was a must-have because if you wanted to fish a match, you had to look in the Angling Times to get the details where to book it from. You quite often had to write in for tickets to the yeah. person that was advertising the match, and you had to book a couple of weeks in advance, and you got the info about what it was fishing like by the matches that had been fished there the previous weekend or, or the previous time you'd remembered from the paper because there weren't very many matches then. And... In London, we had sort of the London Anglers matches, and that was all we went on because basically the rules of the LAA were so restrictive in those days. They were all we could go on because we had to fish wherever we went, anywhere in the world, to London Anglers Association size limits. Yes. So, yeah. so angling media when I started, there was Mr. Crabtree, and then when I was old enough, there was Angling Times, and then Angler's Mail came along, and, and most people bought both both newspapers, as they were then, both weeks. Yes. So, at the opposite end of that, if I talk to Alex and ask a similar question, much younger chap, growing up in a social media age, I guess, um, 
you had some great anglers. We went through this on your podcast, the likes of Tom Pickering and, and Nick Speed, etc. You sort of took you under wing on the bank and you, and you learned that way. But was there anything that perked your interest early doors? Do you remember getting that first DVD? I always remember when I was a youngster, it was like, you know, I got like a Bob Nudd DVD for my birthday and it was like the best thing ever. How did it, you know, catch your eye, Alex, uh, when you was growing up? Um, in terms of media, for me, it's probably the same sort of thing as you. I remember mum buying me a little DVD, um, Carp and Tench on the, Bob, on the long pole with Bob Nudd. Um <laughs> Then it's the usual sort of things, you know, you you want wandering around supermarket, tagging on your mum's arm, you know, oh, I can have this fishing magazine, like, you used to get, like, an odd free float and things, didn't you, with Angling Times things, like, and you, you know, as a kid, you always think, oh, I want that float, but then you'd have a flick through, you'd see, like, um, Steve Ringer, Will Rays, and people like that, and obviously you aspire to that, so you sort of hold them people in highlight, and, you know, you read it back to back and wear it out, but... That was more of a very early days for me. Um, and obviously, hopefully what we're going to discuss tonight, how it's changed and we've sort of moved into that technological era. But yeah, those early days, it was all about sort of improving course fishing. I think I think I remember having an advanced pole fishing magazine. I think that was about the earliest one before it changed, obviously, pole fishing and match fishing. Yes, exactly. Well, what about yourself, Tom? I mean, my, my sort of, the, the, the way I got into fishing in a weird way, I mean, we went on holiday as a family once and we were abroad and I, I, being a curious kid, played around in the sea, I kept finding dead sardines. I kept bringing them back to my mum and dad in a bucket and they were like, he's obsessed with this. We need to we need to take him fishing, like properly fishing. So we ended up down um place you'll obviously know, being a fellow older Dave, uh, Alexandra Park Lake. Yeah, oh yes. He knows it well too. Even I know that. Yeah. Yes. yes, it's quite a famous little lake. Um, telescopic rod, you know, the, 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 the um, stereotypical curling line, horrific tackle, and got a little bit lucky in terms of what we caught. And then from then on, it's sort of like anything in the media was. We didn't. I didn't really have a loyalty. It was kind of. I did read magazines. It was anything from Angling Times, Anglers Mail, um, say Improve. Just sort of picked up different magazines and sort of. I've still got big piles of them at home. Um, I say I never really had a loyalty to any in particular, but I was always reading through things, just just looking at the big fish, really, to be honest with you. I say, I mean, I started when I was I don't know, six or seven. Um, so, yeah, that's really what went for me. And you guys would have had lots of choice. Unlike, you know, like he's saying, there was very little about at the time. You know, yourself, Alex, would have had, you could have picked up a plethora of, of, uh, of content and the reason why I, I've, I've chosen this subject for this first forum is because on the last few episodes I've had this section called the archives where I've actually just like you said there Tony I've got tons and tons of old material that I've kept it's in the attic and I just pull one out you know a match fishing magazine from 1994 with you know Dave Vincent on the front or whatever and it's just about flicking through what were the prices like of tackle back then what could you get for your money have the techniques and tactics changed that much? Probably not. So what I've been doing my own personal journey this six months, last six months or so, is looking at the content. And I've found the whole, I guess, the way things have evolved really, really interesting. Because the reality is the tactics and techniques haven't changed. The venues have. The types of fish that we fish for have. But in general, the principles of catching fish are still the same. And, and my magazines go right the way back to, I think, 91 
So that was why I wanted to talk about the Anglo media. <laughs> sorry, sorry, so, I'm giggling. I'm giggling, mate. Um, I, I've, I've just I've got a box of, of magazines that someone sent me here. Um, they sent me four annual annuals of um, fishing magazine. So I just thought I'd get one out. This is it is quite a late. This is the latest one of the four. Uh, four. This is uh, June nineteen sixty four, and um, and and I thought I'd get it out. And, and while you were saying it, you, you mentioned similar similar types. What of could you get for your money then, Keith? Well, I've I've just opened a page um, with an advert that says introducing the swim light. Um, Miller, this is his Millwards or Millard brothers, they become one of the pioneers of hollow built split cane and for many years have been using this form of construction, which gives extreme lightness, balance and controlled action in the past. This is this is advertising copy, by the way. Um, in the past, rods of this sort of, necess- of necessity been expensive. Now, a new process in four lots of inverted commas enables <laughs> us to offer a hollow built match rod for as little as eight pounds, three and four pence. Um, which is about £8.16p. The swim light's 12 foot long, and although designed as a match rod, still plenty of action to cast a long way, a cast a float a long way, or handle a big fish. And that was £7 plus £1.3 and fourpence purchase tax. So I don't think VAT's new. Um, it was just called something different. Uh, and yeah, that, was, um, that was a pretty top-of-the-line rod then. That would, you know, have been handmade, built cane. Um, and, and what would that be in today's money? Oh, how do you mean? But working on uh, on on the increments of how much it had gone up over the yeah, years. Well, you say seven quid in nineteen six. That sounds a lot of money then. Um, well, I started work. This is nineteen sixty four. As I said, June July nineteen sixty four. June June nineteen sixty four. I started work in September nineteen sixty three uh, for four pound fifty a week. So you're talking um, two weeks' wages for a top end match rod. When I first left school, yeah, two weeks' wages for a top-end match rod. And that rod, although, you you know, you're not comparing apples with apples, if you compare no. it to something like a Diver Ninja, um, mm. is, you know, if, if you want a top-of-the-line match rod these days, it's going to cost you best part of two weeks' wages because you're looking at something top of the top of the tree from Diver, maybe Tricast. There's not many people, and, or, or Guru, which are made by Diver anyway, Diver anyway or were. Um, it, it's not that much difference in price, really. I suppose if you're if you're earning, I don't know, twenty five grand a year now, five hundred quid a week. Yeah, it's not going to cost you a long one, is it? So no, it, it tackle is miles miles cheaper. But what I was giggling about first of all was DVDs. I made my first video in nineteen eighty nine, and tight mm-hmm. line started in nineteen ninety five, and and that is like ancient history for you. In theory, yeah. Well. <laughs> It isn't, it isn't, because, of course, that first series of tight lines was, you know, special to me, because obviously that's when we we first saw on that. So I was consuming that type of live media then, um, yeah. mid-90s, and, and VHS-wise, DVD, yeah, y- y- you're right. Probably I didn't start fishing until I was eight, so that was 88. Yeah. So, yeah, 89, 90 would have been VHS. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. <laughs> Let's talk, Tony, in previous course fishing. We'll get into the whole social media and, and all the rest of it as we go through, like Alex alluded to. Um, but improving course fishing is still incredibly popular. I know we had a chat recently, still over what 20,000 subscribers. Yeah, um, I'm not sure the actual figures at the moment, but I mean, the pandemic, like most print media did, you know, the pandemic was obviously an awful thing, but 
we we benefited from it massively. Everyone sat at home, nothing to do, subscribe to a magazine. Yeah. Um, and it benefited. And, you know, yes, we lost a few of those. It's inevitable when people will go back to real life, but we still have more subscribers now than we did before the pandemic started. Um, I say fishing's, fishing's picked up more, more anglers without a doubt. Yes, we'll have lost some back that we gained, but I would still say the net value, you know, the amount of anglers out there now must be more than was in 2019. Certainly feels like it when I'm out on the bank. Um, you know, going out on obscure days like a Monday or a Tuesday and there's, you know, there's, there's 10, 15 people on a lake in not great conditions. You're like, well, I don't, I don't know if Alex sees that as well. Is that, is that, is that ring true for Alex at Lindor? Yeah, I definitely see that every day. Um, we're, we're a lot busier than we have been. But the great thing is we've got a range of people as well. You know, lots of dads and lads, lots of, lots of older people. Um, and what we've seen is a lot of lads sort of 30s, 40s who... You know, did a little bit with a granddad or a dad as a kid. You know, got a career, got a wife, kids, and we've got what the pandemic did was give them that chance to get back into fishing. And there's a lot of them who's stuck at it. And they could be a new subscribers, Tony. They could have been the likes that have picked up that you know subscription package and um, and and sort of ran with it. it. Question for each of you though, and Tony, this is a belter for you. What makes a good feature? What makes a good feature? Oh, that's a good question. I think it's got to have all-round appeal. I think you've got to write something that, if you're on a venue in Devon, you've got to make it appeal to someone who lives near Alex. Um, you say whether it's got whether it ends up being of tactical interest to you or just interest. You know, you pick it up and think, oh, well, that that's just makes you thumb through. Um, yeah, that, that's the big thing. I think you've got to have wide appeal. You can't just have a feature which is going to appeal to someone who lives within, say, a 10-mile radius of a venue or someone that could, you know, do, do a particular tactic. If you if we did something, let's say, example, long-range casting, you'd have to make it interesting because, let's be fair, most people these days are shooting 30 yards with a little method mm. or similar. Anything, the long-range feeder fishing, yes, it exists, but it's more niche. So if you do it, you've got to make it more interesting. So it's got to be as interesting to the newcomer as it is to the experienced angler and have that widespread appeal so that when they get into the thick of the magazine, they're not just getting to a feature and going, nah, that ain't for me, I'll carry on. Because if you get if you, if you have too many of them features in the magazine, before you know it, you've got to the back, you look at the price and you think, well, I haven't had my money's worth for that, so... That's what, we, that's what I try and achieve with every feature I try and put out there. Well, the reason why I ask that is because the printed press is the one, as Keith highlighted, has been around the longest time since the, you know, um, the, the 50s and 60s with Angling Times, etc. So moving on a little bit with obviously the um, not quite social media, but let's think about recorded media. So VHS, DVDs. Keith, you was involved with hundreds of them. You produced X amount of tight lines episodes as well. What makes a good program on TV? Oh, um, Mortimer and Whitehouse seem to have, have, have found the exact right key um, because it not only attracts most anglers, not all, mm. some people think it's a load of crap, um, mm. but they have no concept of what entertainment is on television, to be honest, because it is extraordinarily entertaining and it came about at the right time for angling with the uh, coronavirus restrictions and lockdown and everything and made people yearn to be outside at a time when that was all they could do. Mm. And, and I think that had as much to do with, with the ups, uptake of angling 
as anything else because I think it was an absolutely brilliant program. And only in a very overt way did it teach anyone how to fish. Yes, I know. No what it did, it taught them why they wanted to fish. Hmm. It, and, and that, just to say what, to, to, to go on to what Tony's just said about the features in magazines, they've got, first of all, they've got to make you want to fish. And then when you want to fish, you want to cast a feeder a long way or you want to fish a slider, or you want to be able to catch fish shallow on the pole. So, you, you, ev but everything comes from what makes you want to fish. And, and the first few videos I did, there were a couple on, on, on Loch Erne in Ireland and, and around the Lakelands. But then we did the um, fishing from the beginning, with where I, I took a young lad who was 12 at the time, took him fishing right from the very beginning. And, and it was funny because we set him up on a bit of canal at Milton Keynes with a size 12 hook and a worm that we dug out the garden. <laughs> and he wouldn't stop catching bleeding perch when I'm trying to show him, hey, you should be fishing a pinky down the middle. And, you know, that kind of thing. And, no, look, just don't put a worm on this cast because you're catching them quicker than I am on, on, on the waggler. So, yeah, but that, what we tried to do there was encourage people to go fishing. Very interesting what Alex was saying about people turning up at the fishery, especially, especially dads and lads. Mm. And a little clue to what we do at Gelks on Fishing, Alec, we try and attract the mums and lads because nine times out of ten, when Johnny's on holiday from school, it's mum will have to take him fishing. Yeah. And it's great true. that you've got, a, you've got a great calf, you've got nice toilets. It attracts mums, and mums are the real people that you want to attract because they're the ones that will bring kids. And, and we get, when we do our family fishing days, we get almost as many girls want to have a go as boys. And we get really get the mums involved and interested. You know, dads come as well, and dads always want to fish, and dads know how to do it better than everybody. But if you can get the mums involved and just get the little girls touching fish and playing with a maggot or whatever, whatever. Um, but, yeah, the, 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 the recorded media um, is probably even more difficult than than the print because on print you can just skirt to the page you want whereas on you've got to make a, a, a video a dvd um interesting because you've really got to watch it from beginning to end you can't just flick on you, you, you can't do it these days with, with dvds if they're constructed like that you know now go to 1547 Chapter, or whatever it is yeah yeah, mm. yeah but but doing it um doing a dvd it's it, it's or a, a recorded program, even tight lines. Tight lines was quite easy because we basically wanted to make a seven-minute film, and seven minutes yes. is great. Everybody can pay attention for seven minutes, but when you start getting to an hour, hmm. that's really, really difficult to keep people entertained, really difficult. And the question to you, Alex, this is, um, well, I guess how important are features and media to the fishery? Because Lindholm has got a, a massive name anyway. You almost feel that you don't need to do a feature. It's like w we and Tony discussed it. We were talking about features ages ago, weren't we? And I, and I said, oh, well, you know, why don't we pop up to, to go and have a go on Bonsai? Because it's, you know, it's, it's brand new. And you was like, it's already been done. And it, you just like Lindholm, it just rolls off the tongue. So do you need it? Do you need people to make videos? Do you still need features there? What What's the benefit oh, yeah, it, It's massive because the... The minute you take your foot off the gas, and this is purely as sort of a business perspective, which, as everyone will probably know, media in business is massive because yeah. that's how you sell your product, your service, whatever, to the public. So the minute you 
ease off with that presence, you know, people will start talking about X venue, Y venue, X product, and so on. So for them, especially like sort of my, the younger generation say, that um, attractiveness of towards them to get them used to say, oh, I want to go to Lindon, that's where I've seen, I don't know, Jamie Hughes fishing shallow with maggots. I've seen Speedy chucking the feeder to an island. I've seen Tommy, blah, blah. You want that association with that because that's what generates your custom. Got it. The minute they're hearing about somewhere else or this, that, and the other, automatically um, that's where they're going to be headed because that's the direction they're pointed. That's where the limelight is in, you know, in their mindset. I think mm-hmm. um, I saw one of the guru things. What um, William spoke about the the England and how um, Fishermania match this and so on because that's the focus of the media and the press. Mm. That's what my sort of age group's driven to, and yeah. you can relate that to anything really. Anything that gets coverage, people will aspire to. And on the flip side, I mean, the chaps have just said there, Tony printed press good feature. Keith, what do we need for a you know, a recorded feature. Well, as an angler that features in features, if you like, as a sponsored angler, obviously you've got to represent your sponsors, Drennan, Dynamite Baits. What do you like to bring to a feature as the angler? Um, for me, I, it, I suppose it's all your personal opinion with it, but for me, I'd like to provide information, provide sort of a spin on a subject, which is sort of my take on things. There's no... You know, there's no point me sitting down and trying to write as though I'm Jamie Hughes, Andy Bennett, whoever, because it's not genuine then. I think whatever you write and whatever you publish has to be genuine in your own thoughts mm. because then that'll bring integrity to what you do and then people will get on board with that. Yes. Absolutely. That, that you, you couldn't be more right there, Alec. It's, it's no good trying to be someone you're not. And and you will put a completely different spin on things because, you know, if I ever wrote an instructional book about fishing, which I have no intention of doing, um, it would be called The Imperfect Science because there's no doubt that fishing is scientific, but there are very, very, very few facts. I always try and get across to people when when people say, if we said, oh, let's pick margin fishing, people say, oh, well, that's been done. Well, if we were all to do a margin feature, or all four of us, and we were all to write down how we did it and what we did, every single one would be different. And we would all maybe have 10 minor changes. And we all know that in fishing, there isn't magic tactics. It's all them tiny little things. If we all sat down next to each other fishing down the margins, from the naked eye, just looking at it, it would look the same. And then yep. if you went and dissected everything, we would do so many bits and pieces, different different shotting, different hooks, different feeding. And that is what ultimately can separate someone who's, you know, a pleasure angler from someone who's an elite. And it's, it's not that magic bait. It's not that magic tactic. It's those maybe 10, 20 little things that you do that are different that end up, you know, send you to a different level. And, and that's that's the thing. Like you say, you, you just see so many – everybody has a different way of doing things. And if I was to do a margin feature now at Lindholm with Alex and then I was to do it with Speedy uh, next month, you get a totally different flavour because there's two different anglers, both very successful, both very knowledgeable, 
but have their own ways of doing it. Because as Keith rightly said, there is no, you know, there is no perfect science to it, so to speak. Do you think that when you do those those kind of features, what what I tried to do on tight lines, and when I was doing instructional stuff with angling times. God knows how many years ago, 30 years, best part of 30 years ago with Michelle Daniel and then Kev Green. Um, what I tried to do was to, you, you can't tell somebody what to do for five hours of a match or two hours of a pleasure session, pleasure session or anything. You, you can't do it minute by minute. So what I always tried to do was to inspire people to think about what they were doing. And, and, and I've, I've used a phrase for years and I first started using in my own head when I was driving home from fishing matches and it was, did I do well or did I do badly because of or in spite of? Did I win because I fed a gun and a bronze maggots or in spite of feeding a gun and a bronze maggots? Could I have won with two pints? If I'd have fed two gallons, would I have caught more? And I wouldn't feed two gallons because I wouldn't take them. But you know what I mean? It's that because of or in spite of, I think if, if you can get, that into somebody's mind and get them thinking why. I mean, I, I, somebody's enrolled me in this in, in a Facebook group. I want to explore it. It's, it's, it's very, very basic anglers. And one bloke said he was thinking of today that he so, read so much on there about small pellets. He was thinking about going out and fishing with two mil pellets and would he do any good? So people were saying, well, I use eight mil pellets. I sweet corn and spam's better and, and maggots are better than that. And what I said is, how are you going to hook it? Good luck getting a two mil pellet into a pellet band. Yeah. And somebody exactly. said, I've got a tool to do it. And and I've got a tool to do it as well. But the tool's much bigger than two mil. Yeah. And and you know, that was what it was. He he was thinking along the wrong lines because the information he got on there was very, very basic about people people saying, Oh, I used two mil pellets and didn't say they moulded them around a feeder or cut them in or made them into a ball and chucked them in. He wanted to use two mil pellets because he'd read on this this Facebook group lots of people had caught on two mil pellets. It had got him thinking, but he'd thought down the wrong line. And I, I didn't just say that, obviously. I said, you know, this is what they're for. But trying to explain to people, and, and when you get some places where literally, and I hate to say this, where the blind lead the blind, mm. where, where yeah. you've got people that, not only are not experts, they're not even very, very basically competent anglers telling somebody else how to do it because they've read about it in Improve Your Course Fishing or, or whatever, or they've read it on another Facebook page. Try this. Oh, this is so. So you, you've, you've got to be very There's There's as much min, misinformation out there about angling as there is about flipping COVID in vaccinations. Well, that is a big <clears throat> a big note in my notes, which we'll get to later on. Well, I might as well address it now, actually. My question was for all of you. This is on my bits of paper just to prove that I do do some research. Absolutely. Um, the, bits. the question was just bits, yeah. Must the be small bits. Was, <laughs> it's in shorthand. Uh, the question was I mean, any numpty like myself has got a phone and, and can start shooting and filming and bits and pieces and and there's that much stuff out there my question was going to be so this was going to be my very last question we'll throw it out there now is there too much information especially with um social media out there so yeah i mean wow chat amongst yourselves that that was my uh my final question but we, we can address it now tony i mean you kick off with that because um printed press you know we spoke last week when we did some bits and pieces about how 
we was looking at Instagram and 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 the algorithms and all that sort of. We could have talked about that for hours. So, yeah, no, I don't think there is. I I, I think what, what what Keith Riley said. I think we, I think we need. I think uh, the, the media on the whole, the angling media, whether it's us doing magazines, whether it's tackle companies doing um, you, you know stuff online. We need, we need to give people the platform, the real basics to sit down and learn how to catch a few fish. Because I think once you start to do that and you get the confidence to do that, you then naturally advance. You know, let, let's say you start catching a few fish. and Let's say you're at Lindon. You catch a few fish. You're really happy with your results. You speak to Alex and Alex will go, all right, next time, try this. And that's the way you need to advance. And I said there's no right or wrong. I mean, all of us fishing is constantly evolving in the sense of one thing that we may have been doing six months ago has now changed and it changes by the venue i I don't think you can have too much information out there i think we need to get people getting the basics right i think that's really important but from then we need to get stimulate you know like you said that thought process in the mind right i said what should i do trial and error because a lot of the time that is what fishing's about so no i i don't think i don't think you can have too much it has to be genuine information it has to be stuff that's proven to work um but as long as it's information that's valid and has worked and, and does work then i don't think there can be too much no that, that's that's what i think well alex what about um you must have some stories from Lindholm where exactly what keith just pointed out you know you've you, You've, somebody's read something, these Chinese whispers, something's got lost, somebody's doing something completely wrong, and you're just like, I wish you'd have asked, and you would have put them right. Um, do, do you get that, or do you find that people in general are, are asking good questions and have you know, um, good ideas? A lot of the time, yeah, people are quite clued up, but the, the fundamental issue with fishing, we can't see the objects of what we're fishing for. All we have is our best guess in the best time. And say, the problem with fishing, you can go down the wrong road and still catch fish. Unlike golf, say you're, fish, you're playing golf, if you're doing it wrong, you're going further away from the hole. Fishing, you can still catch fish, have a good day. Because, like Keith was saying, it's that imperfect science. Um, but generally, the sort of angle we get at Lindham, it's with it being predominantly a match venue, is sort of club yeah, to true. open match level anglers. So you get a lot of questions like, oh, is it pellets or casters? Should I be, what ground bait makes for the edge? So on and so on. But with the pleasure anglers, especially the last few years with a lot of new startups, you do get a lot of very basic questions. And what are the danger of social media or at the minute, because I see a lot of it with, with work and things, people are so keen to shoot someone down if I was a newcomer to, I don't know, say I went, I don't know, playing golf and I wanted to know what club for this, I would be scared to death to ask because of, I'd be worried of making myself look daft. So I think we're sometimes our own worst enemies in the sense that we want to encourage people into the sport, ask questions. But if you've not seen that before and you ask what's considered a daft question, you create problem. you know, you get shot down. You think, oh, I'm going to stay away from that. So it, it it's a tough one in terms of how to ask the question and asking the question in the right place or to the right people will get you a very different answer. Mm. Um, but going, I suppose it all depends on your source of information. Um, if you get a good source of information, as with any sort of research, any sort of learning, your outcome will be better rather than if you ask, I don't know, 
Fred Bloggs who's made himself a Facebook account and saying X, Y, Z, is it reputable? Is it a trustworthy source? And I think if you think about your fishing and who you ask in that sense, you're going to go down the right path a lot quicker than someone who's asking a group with 10,000 members and anyone can sort of bombard you with information because you've then got to sit through the information. What do you mean by, um, it's interesting what you just said about being shot down. What have you seen ag- examples of that online? No, say Great. someone will say, I don't know. Oh, I've started this and this is an example of my rig. You're going, oh, what are you using that for? You plant part and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You think, well, no, ed- educate that person, make him feel comfortable and so he can ask questions. And then you'll progress into a sport and then you don't, you don't know, you might create a new angler, you know, he might come back. Um, it might like going back to the fishery side of things. That's you know it's repeat business for you. Like, um, for, in, for instance, obviously going off topic a little bit with the learning thing. I put a post on the other day about litter around the fishery. Please pick it up. Blah blah blah. That, yeah. And I think there's about like seventy eight comments all saying you need to do this. You should be doing this as a business. You should be doing that. Yeah. Why don't why there more litter bins? Yeah, why, that's why, why, why don't you go around and pick it up more regularly? Exactly. You're like, well, that's not a point. It, like, if he doesn't drop that, it's not an issue. You can spin anything any which way on media and hide behind a profile. And that's, I think we need to, I don't know whether you you vet the people. Like, we've cl- made a lot of our Lindome groups closed groups, so we yes, control things in and out. Hmm. Um, you know, because, you know, kids are on there, mums, mums, daughters people like that you need to protect your customers and the people from unfortunately that tiny percentage that hide behind the screen and you know just want to pull people down couldn't agree more absolutely i could not agree more i I think one thing that happens when when you get a pseudo expert somebody that, that knows what they do they don't really know where to begin and the important thing to know which i've learned only in the last few years since i've been involved with get hooks on fishing where we have people from like 2 years old sitting on their dad's lap and and you want to know first of all what the person that's asking you the question wants to get out of fishing and and when you see on some of these um, very pleasure, basic pleasure angling groups somebody that that has caught a hundred pounds of carp by some nefarious means but you know one of those days when they 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 jump on the bank hang themselves yeah yeah then then they start giving us oh well what i do i use a method feeder cast up to the island well first of all the person should be starting fishing very basically and shouldn't the first thing they do shouldn't be a method feeder and and, and it's but it's what does that person want to get out on fishing most people when they first start fishing are very very happy catching a five inch roach or perch or or whatever they're very i mean the squeals we get off kids with and their mums and they want to take photos of it and then you see some other let's start fishing groups where the kids are allowed to sit next to the rod and when the alarm goes off (laughs) dad will help them wind it in and then help them hold the fish, the, the eight-pound carp, mm. so mum can take a picture. Now, yeah. you know, that, in my mind, 
isn't how to start something. I'll give you an example. On, on Reading and District Angling Club, Angling Association's Facebook group, somebody posted the other day, took my boy fishing today. He had a great time. He used one of my old ledger rods and a little float, and he caught over 100 fish. I think I should get him a whip. So I said, well, why do you want to get him a whip? He said, 100 fish on a rod and reel. He's going to learn much more about the sport, fishing with yeah. a rod and reel, than he is with a whip. And and gradually, well, not gradually, this bloke came around instantly. There were still loads. Oh, I've got a four-metre a four meter midi margin master crunchy up your bollocks thing that you can have. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of these Yankum Bank shock stick. I know Yankum Bank style. And they're, they're shocking names. Shocking, shocking names to give pieces of fishing equipment. Really are terrible names. And and that isn't what what most people who go fishing have any interest in at all. That little boy who was nine caught over 100 fish while his dad sat behind three rods that didn't move. Yeah. If you were yeah. a nine-year-old kid, what would you rather do? I'd probably be sat in there getting them little rudden ropes for sure. I'm like that now. Never mind as a kid. <laughs> there you go. And and so are most people. We, we've got two kinds of – our lakes get us on fishing lakes. The ponds are tiny. There's six ponds in about two acres. So they're, they're, they're tiny, tiny. Probably the biggest one is, I don't know, 50 metres by 40, something like that. And we sell more tickets for two rods to carp anglers than we do to people that want to catch – anything else i'll go over there in an hour and a half i'll have, have 25 roach up to 12 ounces fishing empentairs and and i don't fish for any longer because you know why do i want to catch another 25 roach on empentairs i've already caught loads of them so yeah and, and but we get youngsters over there give them a maggot they catch a little perch oh lovely put a pellet on they catch one of our new little tiny carp that we've got about five inches long and they have a great time and then they see the carp swimming around mm. not many of them but they see the, these, the, the people yeah. can't catch and that's what inspires them to want to catch those big carp like it did me. I caught my first carp age 23 and I caught it out the Thames fishing for dace. <laughs> but that pulled you, pulled you around. Well, it, 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 it did. It was a pound and a quarter. But you didn't catch many pound and a quarter fish on the tidal in those days using a 14-foot rod and a centre pin and a crow quill. No. It's just it's important bit... to, to have somewhere to go, isn't it? You know, if you start it's... with that 10-pound carp, yeah. then, then what are you doing? It's like, I mean... I, I, I was probably we, we we used to fish on club waters, which um, oh don't get me and Dave started. We know all the same club waters, so uh, Tanner's well, Dam by any yes, chance? Yes, Tanner's Dam was one of them. Like just follow roach perch, and if you caught a pound skimmer, you was chuffed a bit. And if we had a day out in the holidays to a commercial, that was a day out, and that was like uh, literally sleepless night, couldn't wait, but it was a treat. Yeah, and we went and caught like a two or three pound carp, and and then that was it. We, we, it that was it. That was it. We were back on the club water, which was local. Fishing for roach and perch, and I, I say I was I was I was well, I was once I left university in my early twenties before I started fishing commercials regularly, and it just feels like you you know you've got you've got to have somewhere to go, otherwise you're going to go oh you know just imagine catching a fifteen pound carp to start with, and then yeah. you catch a five pounder, and all of a sudden you're turning your nose up. I mean that's not right, is it? I mean a five pound carp should be <laughs> when you're a, a young un, that should be a big fish, that should be excitement. And and it shouldn't just come on a plate. Um, yeah. If, if I looked at the emails I used to get to tight lines, um, the most popular one, if, if you refined it down, it would be, I'm very experienced carp angler. I've caught them up to £25. Where do I go to catch? And how do I catch a £30 pounder? 
John, mm. aged 15, Kent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would reply very, very politely. Oh, and, and you know, Dave, I replied to every email, whether they came in onto the show or whether they came to me, I'd reply to them all. And, yeah. and I just replied, when you're experienced enough to catch a 30-pound carp, probably the last person you'll want to ask is me. <laughs> yeah, that's one to be a good answer as well for me. <laughs> very good. The, th- the thing is, I think this all comes around to the, the thing, that, the point that I'm started with about have we got too much information? Because it's about immediacy, isn't it? The, the, you've got information, angling media at your fingertips, whether it be YouTube, whether it be somebody's Facebook page, whether it be Instagram or whatever, and a, and a, a cacophony of, of of sort of legacy stuff. In fact, you know that you're just talking about, Keith, the, uh, the kid catching on a worm down the canal. That was yeah. a Clean River production, wasn't it? Yeah. It cropped up on YouTube the other day, and that yeah. was from what nineteen eighty whatever. So you, you can pull all these this this content from years and years. It's right at your fingertips. So sometimes it does make me wonder a little bit about everything that you guys have just said about the immediacy of you know I, I want this now. I, I can get the information straight away. So I want to be able to go out tomorrow and catch a twenty pound carp, mm. and and that just doesn't work. And and I guess this is back to my whole point is that I do think because of the source, because of the provenance of this info, like Alex has said, you know, make check your source where it's where it's coming from. I do worry that if somebody looks at the wrong thing, the wrong bit of information, and that ten pound barbel doesn't get landed tomorrow because they saw it, you know, somebody do it online, will that ultimately then put people off because they've gone about it the wrong um, sort of way? The beauty in the past is obviously whether it was improve your course fishing before the digital era really boomed whether it was improve your course fishing or whether it was tight lines you had a filter which kind of it had an authority with it you know if you're reading it or picking it up that you know it's got an authority it's coming from people that know what they're talking about now as you say if you go online if you're watching something that let's say guru or preston have done it's got an authority yes credibility watching youtube and it's joe blogs well he may sound like he knows what he's doing, but he may not. So, sounds like my YouTube and, channel, Tony. <laughs> and it's kind of—I I, I, I nearly said it could be Dave Eastwood, but I didn't. I take your words instead, so uh, I held back. But that—that that, that is the problem with it. Um, and um, like I said, there's lots of information, genuine information that's good, is great. But you know, if it isn't swearing, it isn't naughty, it stays on the internet, and yeah. which is fine. But that can have an adverse effect, as, as, as the lads have been saying because you could be picking some up absolute duff information from someone who can um, just talk well. You know, Nigel Farage talks well. doesn't mean he talks sense. So, um, you know, it's um, it's just... Or, or even the truth. Yeah, exactly, exactly that, <laughs> exactly. But let's not get started on that. No politics or these gents. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alex, actually, it's quite funny because you started, we spoke about this on, on your podcast, Um during lockdown, all the rest of it, you started your own little YouTube channel. It was really popular as well. How did you find the feedback for that? Was was it? I think it was genuinely, generally, sorry, quite positive, wasn't it? Yeah, it was all quite good. Um, the the hard thing to portray on YouTube or any sort of sort of self led media is the the foremost reason of producing, say, a media, whether you're involved with a company or whatever, is promotion into it's promote mm-hmm. yourself promote a product show promote the sport promote anything yeah. yeah so if say for me um the struggle i had with it 
it's hard to stay showing things genuinely. So, for instance, let's talk about pellet fish on a commercial because mm. it's something I can relate to. You don't. You sometimes you'll drop in, and because it's that first bit of bait, you know, the fish are, You might foul up your first two fish until your peg settles down, and you almost don't want to show that footage because of, you know, you might get Fred who thinks, oh, what's he playing at? I can do better than that. I don't foul up my first fish. Drops a comment on you and, you know, ripping his pieces. When really it's quite a a natural process. It's hard um, to show that progression of your peg without showing the negative points as well, which for me, sort of a bit further on in my angling, I want to see... I don't know, let's pick a name, Steve Ringer, when it goes wrong, the decision he makes, but et cetera, et cetera, mm. to then com- progress from that. Whereas as from as a media outlet, you want to portray your products, your anglers, in the best possible light. You don't want yeah. to show them losing a fish, foul-looking a fish, you know, snapping a bristle off a float when a fish snags him in the edge, any of that sort of thing. But... I was quite keen with mine to keep it genuine, so I tried to like leave it in when I had a bad cast and winding it and say, look, you have an odd bad cast if you hit the island. You know, it's one of them things work through it. Because I insisted on that on tight lines, by the way. Even, even when we edited like the whole day's filming down to eight or nine minutes, if I, if I dropped a proper one, then I would insist it was left in just to show it is possible to make mistakes. But well, it like, also makes I, it relatable as well, doesn't it, for your listener, exactly, your viewer? The other thing I think with with a lot of um, videos, and when Dave first started doing his, we had several conversations about it. And and because I've always worked with producers, or I've been the producer, or I've been the director, I've seen it from all sides. And mm. and whilst I know I'm not always right on these kind of things. Less is definitely more, and it's very difficult, as I said earlier, to keep the attention for an hour. And if you can encapsulate that hour in ten minutes, oh, well, I've had I've just had fifty minutes, and I've only had one little bite on that. And 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 Dave Dave does some nice edits now, and and edits edits are very important, and and really going out with a storyboard of what you want to do. Yeah, took me ages to learn it. Yeah, yeah, and, and when you go to someone like Lindholm. It is relatively easy to do a storyboard because you know you're not going to you're not going to be fishing for for dace and be pestered by a barbel. <laughs> yes, that's terrible. That'd be a nice day out. You, you know what I mean? I mean, you're, you're going to fish for F ones, and for example, and you might get more carp than you expect, and and you can then which well, is a real bonus. You know, mm. I'm doing everything right for F ones, and I've had a few. But I've done it so right, the carp are coming and bullying them off. And now, look, I'm getting a six-pounder every cast instead of a 12-ounce. That kind of thing is, is easy to do. But it, it, the, the most important thing about creating any kind of, of, of broadcast entertainment is objective. And while you're making it, it's subjective, but it's got to work towards the objective at the end. What I'm trying to do, I'm trying to show someone how to catch a 100-pounder carp in a match shallow on the pole i'm trying to show someone how to catch tricky f1s in the winter by using little baits down the edge or whatever but have that inject objective and then create a storyboard we used to call it a treatment where you write down everything you're going to do and and that's how i, I do a show i, I do it 
now I, I, I write just bullet points, odd words. I don't write sentences. I'm going to say because you read them, you mess up. So yeah, but that that's that can be really important because when I see some of the 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 um, productions of, of of less able anglers. And and when you see them you know, really struggling, oh, I don't know why I'm not catching anything today. I've done all this right. It's shocking. But they're still there. But, mm. you know, that, that's that's my view. That's my opinion. It's, it's, and, and broadcasting, like everything else, is an imperfect science. But, uh, yeah, I, I think if you get an objective and can then work towards it, um, you will definitely get better results. I think Definitely. the problem with yours, though, Alex, was um, you were like ti- you had time constraints. A lot of your videos was done of an evening, and yeah, it's um, you were it's, it's all it's same as anything. You get out what you put into it. You know, mm. um, correct. I'm trying to work four days for a fishery, do my coaching, be competitive in my my own fishing, mm. and something's got to give somewhere. And obviously, for me at the minute, you know, I'm 26 year old, trying to buy a house, trying to do this, that, and the other. I thought, right, that's got that's got to give. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that's life. That'll you know, not just in fishing. It's anything you pursue in life. I had exactly the same with, with, with fishing. I mean, I, I virtually had. Well, I had to stop match fishing in the end. All I could get to was Gold Valley on a Saturday if the draw was. If the match didn't start until ten, I could just about get there, and, and I couldn't go anywhere else. I couldn't get there in time. Couldn't fish nationals anymore. Couldn't do any of that. But it was one. I was earning really good money doing it, which was okay. I didn't need any more money. I, I had enough money already. But it, I, I, what I wanted to do was to, I felt that I'd got so much out of fishing in all those years. It was only fair that I could do as much as I could to put some back, even if it meant my own fishing, that I really love match fishing. I mean, I I think just catching fish is too easy. Me against the fish is just not fair. But me against you against the fish, or me against Dave against fish, or Bob Nutt or anyone else, is a very different matter. And, and, and that's where you have to really get clued up. So I had to sort of drop all that. Um, to do it, 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 for, for what I wanted to get out of it aesthetically, and and you're in a, the complete opposite situation. You need as much money as you can possibly get as soon as possible, and and you, you've got to cater your fishing to that way. But what you must do first of all is be true to your own match fishing because that's what keeps you in a job at. Lindholm it's what encourages people to come to you for coaching and while YouTube videos very good and all the rest of it there's loads and loads of others on there but if you can get stuff by word of mouth as well then you know you're going down the right road mate oh 100% yeah um I I learned that lesson a little bit last year you almost suffer from like a burnout if you try to split yourself too many ways and so I sort of said this year to myself right I need to fish xyz and so that's in the diary and everything else can work around that because obviously the coaching is results-driven business. If I'm not competitive, I'm not doing well, I'm not representing my sponsors, everything sort of, you know, it's a, a rapid decline, isn't it? And, and you know what the worst thing of all, and and you always, you have to enjoy what you're doing. You have to not oh, want to. Yeah. You know, I don't want to go to work today. I really, I really don't want to get out of bed to go. To, I don't want to go to that match today. It's going to be shit. It's going to be windy. It's going to be rain. As soon as you get that, you're in serious trouble. Mm. That serious level. trouble. You've yeah. got to enjoy what you're doing. And l- I've always been lucky. And when I've really got fed up with doing a job I didn't want to do, something has come along that's enabled me to stop doing it. And another door has opened for me. And, and, and Dave knows this. I've always said yes. 
Somebody says, can you do it? Yes, I'll do it. If, if it's humanly possible, I will do it. It's much more difficult for me now because I've got a domestic situation that makes it much more difficult for me to say yes and to be anywhere else other than here. So that, 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 but that's something entirely different. But if, if somebody said, oh, can you do this? Yes. When would I do tight lines for nothing? Of course I'd do it for nothing. My manager, Barry Hearn, wouldn't let me do it for nothing. He wanted me to earn 125 grand a year from tight lines so, and, and, and because he wanted the commission off it. So, you know, it, it was that, it was that kind of thing. You know, I would, I would, if they'd have said to me, look, Keith, we've got to stop tight lines because we're paying you too much money. I'd say, I'd do it for a year for nothing. And I would genuinely have done it. They could have paid me expenses, but I would genuinely have worked for a year for nothing. Don't give um, Neil any ideas at Lindholm. Yeah, <laughs> you'll see me outside co-op next week. Yeah, don't give Neil any ideas. <laughs> I'll be saying, Alex, I'm there in a cardboard box. But yeah. that'll never happen with you, Alex, because and, and it would never happen with me either because the sky didn't stop doing tight lines because they were paying me too much money. They stopped because they wanted to stop live produce live productions in the building because they were spending too much money on all of them. Not just me, 17 people it took to get tight lines on air, you know, and all earning a load of money. So that that's why that, that had to stop along with all the other magazines they used to do in-house, the live stuff. It, it, Soccer AM is about the only one that survived. Um, and But it, it was, you know, you, you mustn't ever undervalue yourself. And, and, you know, I'd had 19 years and 11 months on tight lines and in a lot of money. So it was very easy to I'll do it for a year for nothing. But, you know, but you do, you will do. And I, I you know, I, I don't think I might have met you on a, on a fish show up there. I don't know. But you will do much, much more on every branch of your business, of your, I'm Alex Doherty, I'm doing this. At, at Lindholm, I'm Alex Doherty. I'm doing this coaching. I'm Alex Doherty. I'm doing these YouTube's. You will do miles, miles more than you're paid for. I know that because you love doing it. Oh yeah, if I think, oh, you, see, you have it all the time. Officially, you end up, you know, you do your last check four o'clock. You end up still with about till half past six. Saying, oh, have you right? Pop this in. Have a go at this. Chuck this like that. Yeah. You said anything? Hang on, I've just worked two hours for free. And they think, yeah. oh, well, I'm, I'm chatting about fishing. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. And that bloke will tell his mates, and, and his mates all say, Well, that's good. That's great. I'll go and do that. And why are you packing up at yeah. four o'clock? He stayed yeah. into the past six. Um, yeah. S- speaking of a great job, though, Tony, uh, we spoke about this before. I think you've got the best job in the world. However, I do think you've got a hell of a lot of responsibility because you've got to take somebody's messaging or style or that day's angling and, and put it into words in a way that is credible as we've said before is retainable by the reader and is in in some elements memorable as well so i think it's incumbent on you quite a lot of uh, a lot of responsibility in some respects how long have you done it now you have told me before i forgot 15 years in a couple of months like literally my first ever proper job left uni thought with a journalism degree thought oh wow it'd be amazing to work for the angling press when my career ends, this was when, you know, print press was a bit stronger than it is now. And then um, sent off a couple of emails and got, got lucky pretty much. And yeah, started at AT in 2007 and now mainly on Improve 15 years on. But it, it comes down to just practice. It comes down to like with anything like experience. I mean, I'm sure Keith found his early shows of tight lines a lot harder than he did with the later shows because you you, you, you learn... You learn a style. You learn the best way of delivery. You learn what 
becomes entertaining. You learn what becomes genuine. I was carrying uh, Bruno Brooks on my shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just you just you just get sort of get used to it and um yeah you, you find the best way to get the message across you you try and get a bit of i mean for, in print you try and get a bit of that person's harder with print than it is with with, with audio try and get that bit of that person's personality across yeah. you know i mean you, you you know the quotes that are in the magazine yeah a lot of them aren't word for word quotes because you know a lot of them's in conversation but all of the information is you know what the angler would do you know, it's not just twisted just for the sake of things. It's what the angler would do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that, that 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 that's that's where I'm at with it. Really, it's just just experience helps a lot to get it across. Definitely. Yeah. When I first um, I wrote a piece for Match Fishing with Tom and Matt a few years ago, and coming from a university background, it was so hard to write in a style to entertain rather than a style like I don't know, like an edu- uh, an essay style. And oh, I had some time. Obviously, it took forever to rewrite and reproduce. And you started thinking, oh, but, but same as anything. It's like the more you do it, the, the more natural it comes. Definitely. Imagine doing that longhand like I had to when I started writing it on, on line, tablets. lighting it on ruled <laughs> paper. Stone tablets. Did you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> you missed Alex's quip. He said, was you writing it on a stone tablet? Yeah, almost. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I had a reporter's notebook. And I used to write my articles on that in longhand, fold them up, put them in an envelope and post them. That's what I had to do. And How then many eventually... How your column been in, Keith? You, you did say it on the last episode. Uh, first one was in David Hill's Course Fishing Magazine in, in 1979, I think, something like that. And Angling Times? Angling Times 1990, I started. So it not quite stone tablet, Alex. But it could have been a chalkboard. <laughs> nine, nine, by nineteen ninety, I had um, I, I did used to send copy to Angling Times longhand, but then I got an Amstrad um, <laughs> CPC four six four. No piece, no no PC nine two five six word processor. You remember these things, you say? Oh mate, this I, I've got an iMac in front of me and a printer next to it. And the 9256, which had 256 kilobytes of, uh, yeah, kilo, kilobytes of memory, was bigger than these two things. Yeah, 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 yeah. And everything had to be on a floppy disk. So you and were I'd sending that off weekly to... Post a floppy Pete, disk, yeah, during times, yeah, to Peterborough. Well, some of the stuff I was doing, and don't forget we were doing on the bank, some of the how-tos, uh, how-tos I was doing Michelle, with Michelle Daniel and, and, and uh, Kev Green, and we'd actually be doing them on the bank, Dave Woodman's here a few times. We'd, we'd be doing them literally. They would be writing the words, and I'd be providing the other stuff. Um, but when, when I was writing my own column, um, which happened every so often, I, I, by, by eventually I had a... Um, I bought a power book, an old Mac power book. Yes. Um, that I, I started about the mid nineties. I started doing that. Um, then I got, you know, went through, got an iMac and imagine writing up all your features long can. If I had to supply written copy, I'd never have a career. Cause people look at my, uh, my notepad and go, oh, I'm doing shorthand. It's like just nodding. That's just terrible yeah. handwriting. Shocking <laughs> handwriting. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was quite difficult. And the other thing as well, I, I think that the quality was much lower than it is today because if i made a mistake or wanted to put one paragraph in another place it meant rewriting a whole bloody lot yeah yeah so you know you wouldn't do it but now i can 
I can think of a paragraph, four or five paragraphs further on than mm. I actually want to write it. Type it in there and then and just copy and cut it. No, so I was going to say, I usually write three or four intros. Like the first part, the first 50 words, I, I usually write three or four. <clears throat> that, that's always the hardest bit for me, just to get something. Because obviously you're writing 10 features in a magazine. Yeah. They've all got to sound different. And, exactly, yeah. And that you say, if, if you've written that, in, in, if you've written, if you've penned that, and that's, like, as you said, you, 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 your, your flexibility is, is greatly reduced, other than, as you said. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm quite lucky because I write stuff in my head. Like, I, I will, um, I don't know, most of you know my wife's got a pony, and I, have to, I go down five days a week and, and feed it and pick the shit up. And mm. I write plenty of paragraphs and, and ideas walking around that field. And, like and that. Yeah. If, if, if you were to give me... If you gave me a title for an article or for a feature and said, I want 300, 500, 700, 900, 1500 words, 3000 words, I could do it like that. Just give me a title. It's when I can't think of a title. That's the, the hard part. I mean, I used to write every, every week when I did Fisherman's Blues on the radio, two shows, I used to write a poem for the start of each show. I've got memory fart discs of them here. With, I've probably still got them all. Some of them I remember. One called Purple Poo that I wrote about what happens in October when all the uh, all the elderberries and everything out, and everything eats elderberries and blackberries, and there's purple shit everywhere you look. Yeah. And, and um, that was quite an evocative one. And some of them were funny. Some I used to, I used to love writing a limerick. I used to love a limerick and and create the innuendo by having the last line not rhyme. Very good. Was, I, I'm, I was thinking with this. Um, I, I did a you know I did the rattling of the paper before. I only ever, for any of these podcasts, and it's like, whatever, 20 now, 21, I only ever took notes for the first two. Um, mm. That was with yourself, Keith and Tom. And, and it was just to get me going. After yeah. that, I never had any notes. I had all the research was in my head. And I knew the structure of how I wanted that, that conversation to go. The only time I've wrote notes since is today for this, because it's the very first one where there's more than one person. So mm. I, I've, over time, I've got a bit like I guess. I mean, my professional life, I'm I work in training, learning, development. So I'm pretty lucky in the respect that I sort of haven't back to that term we used before. I have an objective at the start of what I want the listener to get out of at the end of it. A bit like training, the start of the session, you'll say, right, what do you want to get out of this? And then you'll build your session in your mind as you go through the content. And yep. it's a little bit similar with a podcast or whether it's a video that I've done or I, I used to really enjoy writing um, when back in the day when I did blogs, probably 12, 13 years ago. And it was all written, writing out a session on a blog was took hours and hours, but I used to really enjoy it and adding the odd image to it. So probably similar to, you know, how you started doing your journal degree, Tony, when you started constructing um, almost like the story. So, yeah. yeah, I get what you mean, Keith, about not having to – you just go for a walk. And these storyboards pop in my head now. I know yeah. how I want a feature to, to sort of unfold. Oh, it's funny, though, because I'm, I'm fine. We'll come on to the final subject now. Um, I did – I recorded a, a, my first live match the other week. I only did it because I'd treated myself to a, to a camera that I knew I could get a good three hours worth of battery life out of. You're having to switch it on and off, and it's not ideal filming yourself fish a match. But I knew it was going to be a slow day. It was heavy frost, all the rest of it. And, and when I edited and put everything together, I, um, I didn't realise how much I look around. <laughs> how much I watch other people, what's going on. 
yeah. and I'm thinking, I should be watching my floor. I should be watching my tip. I'm, I'm watching what's going on all the time. And I never realized that. So that's my final conversation piece for is about live recording or, or looking back or viewing uh, content. Um, Tony, tell me about, <laughs> give me an example. I know you, you told me some examples in the past about like where a feature's turned into a bit of a disaster. So a bit of lighthearted, don't give away, you know, don't embarrass anybody, but can you give any examples of where the day's just gone completely Pete Tong? Oh, yeah. I mean, you just, you turn up and, you know, fish don't bite, you catch nothing. Um, I remember once we went to a fishery and we couldn't catch, we, we couldn't catch this big bream and the owner caught one and it was like, well, we know they're in this. So we need a picture of this. So he says, can we use that bream? And he says, well, only if you drag it through the water in a keep net as opposed to walking it 50 metres and landing there. I was like, yeah, okay. Was... He forgot to tell me that the margins, right, I was walking through, were about five foot deep. And I'm walking <laughs> through these margins with this bream in the water to get this picture. I mean, to walk 50 metres, that was that, that was chaotic. But, oh, yeah, weather. Um, I've been to wrong stretches of river trying to find people. What um, three words? Now you've got what three words? That never happens. I know there'd be none of that. There'd be none of it anymore, would there? There was none of those joys in the past. This is um, the swim you want to be in. Snot, slimy, poo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we can really give people spots away now to, yeah. to, the, to the blade of grass, pretty much, yeah, if you want. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we can really annoy people if they got up our noses. Um, Oh, yeah. I mean, let's say 95% of the time it goes right. But I always say, because within Biomedia, which owns the which owns the magazines, the, you know, they own golf magazines, gardening. If they go out and do a feature, that feature gets done. Now, within fishing, yes, 95% of the time it will. But 5% of the time, or hopefully less, the fish don't want to open their mouths. You don't get a feature. It's as simple as that. And And a lot of the time, the more exciting features, the ones that have that, you know, that maybe that interest, the way where even if you wouldn't do that style of fishing, are the ones where you go and do something that's a little bit more different. I mean, today I've been on the um, Tiverton Canal in Devon, and the blokes oh, had six tench to six lovely. pound, and it I was did that with Kim Wilson. Phenomenal canal. I've mm. never been on it. We were talking mm. about Kim today. It's right, yeah. bizarrely, we were talking oh, about it. Yeah. Just a phenomenal canal, and you, you know, he said. You just don't expect, you just don't hear about that, uh, that that sort of fishing. Um, could have gone wrong. He said, you know, yeah, we should catch a tench. And he ended up catching six. Now, it's one of those features which when I look at it, hopefully when I look back at the pictures, it should look it should look lovely and something totally different, something that you don't see every day. Yeah, it's one of those which is a little bit of a gamble. You know, it's mm. not going fishing shallow for F1s where you know you're going to catch 30 pound of F1s even on a terrible day at this time of year on a feature. Um, so yeah, it definitely goes wrong at times, but it's worth those gambles because when they when they come off, I'd say for those you know, just a bit more special fish, they you know it, it, it gets the ju- creative juices running that bit more with a camera and stuff like that. How no golf journal has ever been out with Ian Poulter and someone's been in front of him and filled all the holes in? <laughs> exactly, exactly that. That's it. You know, there is that there is that element of what if, particularly you know, we say when you go in winter or if you like you say if yeah. you. Is it going for a particularly sort of elusive fish? I think what's like a double bar, you know, river fishing, mm. for example. You you just can't plan on rivers particularly no, no. because, well, you know, what's it going to be like on the opening day? Clear? Are we going to have some sudden <laughs> deluge of rain? You just can't plan it. By the way, what happens here? Whoever says what, I will top it. Well, I'm leaving you to last. No, so no, because I, I will. I will to, I, you know, I might not even have to play my trump card. 
but I will top it. You, you, you're going to be last anyway because I, I know that you you don't work <laughs> in the angler media for X amount of years and not have a ton of <laughs> bloopers. But Alex, you must have had a disaster on a feature, on a vid, or even a foot. I know you've got tons of funny stories we were going to talk about last time that you've seen around the fishery, but give us an example. In terms of features, probably nothing too sort of drastic, just like the sort I'd gone on Loco one day, and for those that you don't know, it's it's sort of a deep, like, eight, ten foot deep, and, you know, it's sort of like a feeder fishing at range thing. I'm sat there, I've been sat there, and we've got to, like, 11, 12 o'clock. Bear in mind, this is winter, so by two, two half two, the light's gone, and the picture's going to look horrendous. Yeah. I'm sat there, it's got to, like, 12, I'm like, don't think this is happening, mate. So then it's like, you know, just, uh, right, we'll launch everything in the van and run round to one of the other lakes, and, you know, scramble something together um, and then other than that with sort of films what I found when I watch myself back you you sometimes get stuck on a word so like you'll use it in every <laughs> sentence you sit there and you watch it you think why well, really sound like that and like I'll be into a word like I don't know superb and that that word yeah, will crook word 40 mm. times in 10 minutes on a video or something Keith had me straight away when I was like, like smacking my lips, didn't you? Remember the mm. first video? You was like, "Why do yeah, you keep yeah. smacking?" Oh, what do you mean? Well, I did it. It was like one, one of our assistant producers had to, had to push me. Bobby, lovely Bobby Gould, who, who when I used to he used to take over from me at Talk Sports sometimes when he did a breakfast show with Mike Parry. Listen to him on a football match. He will say incredulous instead of incredible. <laughs> instead of incredible. Unbelievable, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, he will say incredulous. That was an incredulous pass. Yeah, the, oh. in training we call it a hook word. So when yeah. you're, let's say that they essentially you ask them to do a presentation or a demo or something like that, and you're perhaps listening in and ready to feedback, you'll pick up on these hook words. And yeah. um, I had one. It was absolutely. You say absolutely mm-hmm. all the time, and but once you have it identified to you, you, you pretty much get over it. What was your word, Alex? You remember? I can't remember what it is now. Uh, Aaron would tell you, if you ever see Aaron, he, you know, he likes to remind me regularly of things. I'll tell you a say. popular one. It wasn't basically, was it? No, I don't I don't think so. I've, it might have been ridiculous or something like that. People say basically all the time. Mm. It's oh. a hook word. The last, Steve- time, the last time Alex and I were out for the magazine, it, it sort of took a curveball. We're fishing down the margins and, where were we on beaches, Alex? And I said that you're right on margin. It was winter margin fishing. It had a big bush, and you thought that looked bang on to catch down the edge. On well, the left end margin, it had a bit of grass, and it looked like nothing to me. And then I said to Alex, "Have you caught all your fish?" Went every bite on the left. And like, just and we try, I think we were trying to count, catch a fish down the right, weren't we? You could not get yeah, a bite. Felt, the, the, the picture would have been a lot better to a right, but. Couldn't get a bite, literally, for love, no money. I think you, t- I think you messaged me after you'd gone. You said you, I think you eventually caught one or something down the right, and you think you're so determined because it looks so sock on, and the other one just looks so nondescript. The shoulder of F1's under a blade of grass. It, 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 it just, I'm stood over this margin, and you think, how are you still getting bites? You this tree with plenty of cover, and you think, can't get a bite. It's just, yeah, one of those curveballs. Tons of stuff. Right, Keith. Finish us off with uh, I, I, whatever you're going to pick. I don't care. I know it's you're going to have something decent. I know you have. Well, I was filming with a bloke called Mick Toomer for Pedigree Films, Clean River Fishing, and we were going um, mid-channel wrecking. With, okay. At nice. the time, the very best, most famous boat out of Weymouth. Was that was that Mick Toomer who used to have Gloucester Park and that? Yes. Yes. 
that Mick Toomer. Mick who knew, knew absolutely everything. Yes. Lovely, lovely bloke. But his only his opinions were right, and, and usually they were. So we've gone out with this brilliant angler. We've got a little dinghy we're taking with us because we've got two cameras. So we're going to be on the main boat, and camera two is going to be on this little dinghy, which was, you know, like a park lake rowing boat. So out we've gone 37 miles into the English Channel with big boats going backwards and forwards. Yeah. We, we've got out there. We found the wreck, 200 feet of water. We've got young Brian out on the, on the camera boat. We've had our first drift. Mick's hooked the wreck. Pulled, pulled, pulled. And this is the days, and this is not braid and a nice 10-ounce slow jig. This is like a pound and a half perk and 40-pound line and a rod like a broomstick. So Mix hooked this wreck, and we pulled and pulled and pulled and pulled for the break. Got the break. So Paul said, I'll just run us back up the tide. Started the motor, and it caught fire. Oh, no. So there is smoke coming out of the middle of the boat, 37 miles out from Weymouth, in a Mm. shipping lane. Yes. And you drift in. And and he's this this the, the the captain was a volunteer member of the lifeboat crew, so the last thing he wanted to do was phone the lifeboat. <laughs> so he identified what was wrong, phoned his missus on or got his missus on the ship to shore radio. This was there, there probably were mobile phones. This would have been the very early nineteen nineties, ninety three, something like that, maybe. Maybe even earlier than that. And he, he, he somehow got his missus on the radio. She phoned, and the only place they had this part was in Southampton. So she would have to drive to Southampton, get this part, get another skipper to bring it out, by which time it would have been the middle of the night. So he's tried everything he knows to get the boat working again, and there's still smoke coming out of it. He's got the fire extinguisher on it, so the fire's out. So it was the starter motor that burnt out. And um, it's getting rougher and rougher. It's too deep to drop the anchor, and we're in a shipping lane. So we're drifting, drifting along. The waves are getting higher and higher. The rope has, and we've got Brian back on board, luckily, because the rope snapped. And they recovered this little tender three days later, the other side of the Isle of Wight. <laughs> right? And we'd left, we'd left the hotel at 6.40 in the morning. We were out at 7 o'clock. Ultimately, he had to call the Coast Guard. <laughs> the Coast Guard called the, the, uh, the um, lifeboat. The lifeboat, which was a 54-foot lock-in, I'll never forget it because the boat that we were on was a 33-foot lock-in, the same make. The lifeboat came out, had to tow us back to Weymouth at six knots. We got back at 10 past 11 in the evening when everything was shut. We couldn't get a snack. We couldn't get anything. I mean, in those days, everything shut. And and, and we couldn't get anything. And I'd not even dropped a line in the water. (laughs) Mick had hooked the wreck once. And and yeah, and, and, and that was it. That was, and, and it was, I mean, yeah, I laugh about it now. I wasn't laughing about it at the time because for a start, you know, it was quite lumpy. We're, we're being towed yeah. nearly a hundred yards behind a lifeboat. And, and while we were still drifting, this big old Belgian beam trawler, which I'll never forget. I know it was Belgian because it's, you know, they all have a letter code on them and a number. The letter code was OO, which is Ostend, Ostend, and the number was 56, and it was bearing down on us. We couldn't move. 
and that wasn't moving at all. It wasn't it wasn't towing? It was running. And when it eventually went past us, and the our boat went under its beam, like it went under its what do they call them? The outrigger. We actually yeah. went under the outrigger of the boat with the nets dripping on us. Oh God! They had a rope around the wheel to keep it on course, and they were probably downstairs having a cup of tea. Or yeah. a cup of glass of wine, being Belgian, and and it was a really, a really terrifying day. One of the great, one of the great South Coast skippers, very famous. Um, I think he's still around. He still writes as a Facebook page, and I think I mean he might. I'm, I'm seen about for a couple of years, but that was yeah, that was that was more or less a disaster. As well as the lake in Ireland, we went to the Ian Hicks recommended us to didn't have any fishing. I think you said yes, he tells about. Not many, not, there's not many of those. Sure. Yeah. No. So, yeah. so and this was the first video I've ever made. Yes. And we we actually left the lake with more fish in it than when we got there. Brilliant. Because Mark Downs and Darren Davis went down the road and caught a bucket full of bream and I caught them. Oh, God. Oh, I don't think you're going to have any issues like that at Lindholm, <laughs> Alex. You're not going to be no, 19, that, across that was, there, I think, can he? That was, <laughs> and I, it's one of, you know, I'm very bad with dates, but I'll never, never forget that date. Possibly. Because it was the day before the Hillsborough tragedy. Ah, yes, yeah. There was one. Um, I we we did the podcast with with Robson Green, and he's obviously been all over the place, travelled the world with his fishing programs. And there was one he gave a story. If the listeners have not listened to that, well worth a listen. He talks about a terrifying experience, um, stuck in like uh, ridiculous hurricane conditions, and basically he must have prayed to God numerous times, uh, you know, where they were just sort of drifting and couldn't do you, the mercy, you're the mercy of the, the elements. Yeah. So, yeah. There's some, so it's a, it's a cruel mistress is the sea. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's about it chaps. Um, thank you so much for your time. And uh, Alex, you're off. Um, where are you off tomorrow? I know you're going away early. Where am I tomorrow? Uh, Western tomorrow for Fishmania. So fingers crossed for a nice one tomorrow, mate. Good luck, mate. See you July the 23rd. Look. Hopefully, uh, speaking of we'll which, yeah, that's the one, Keith. So you will be there, fisherman in final. All things being equal, yeah, I've been asked again. Good man, top man. Never mind what Nody Goforth says. <laughs> we won't get into that. Um, <laughs> no, um, I won't. Anyway, no, Tony, you got featured tomorrow, or are you, are you writing? No, I'm. A, I'm a, well, kids have got chicken pox, so I'm sat at home on daddy daycare for the next three days now. So, uh, with me three weeks ago, yeah, so that's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm currently trying to find socks that fit on their hands and rubbing lotion into their faces and necks. And oh, it's absolute chaos! So, yeah, I've, I've been, I was in, I was, uh, um, uh, I was, I was on the Tiverton Canal today and I was at Crawford Vineyard slash Crawford Lakes yesterday. So, that's me off the bank for this week. I was going to say to you, Dave, actually. Did you actually do this one today because your feature is on the front of Angling Times of this week? Is that why you've sneaked this one in? No, no, not at all, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was hard <laughs> enough to uh, to coordinate three of you anyway, so no, it's just, that was just pure luck. <laughs> so no, you are right, Angling Times today, just so the listeners know, do pick up a copy, I'm in there, and improve your course fishing next month, which will be available early June. So That's nice good. plug, thanks, Tom. Yes, nice, nicely done. Excellent. Thank you very much, chaps. It's been a pleasure, and we'll all uh, catch up soon again. Thank you. Cheers, mate. See you guys. Well done. For all your fishing needs, be sure to check out Fishing Evolution. 
Boasting two floors of branded displays, visit our recently expanded superstore at Hadley Road in Sleaford, where we offer a huge range of tackle from all of the leading course and cart brands, such as Nash, Fox, Corda, Drennan, Preston, Guru, Daiwa, and many, many more. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram, where we share all of the latest news and updates about products available in store. Well, it's been a while since we delved into our metaphorical tackle shed and looked at some of the gear that's available lately. And it seems non-stop right now. And it seems that all the major tackle companies have had some sort of release, whether it be rods, whether it be terminal tackle, um, clothing, etc. And I guess that's just the nature of the beast as we move now through the seasons. It's not a case that, that there's one or two launches per year. It's actually that these tackle companies are releasing um reacting to the change of seasonality for fishing so as we go into summer i know that matrix have just done a big release of various clothing new t-shirts shorts things like that but also more around um substantial pieces of kit high price items would be the best way to call it so we'll look into the weeklies in angling times this week they've got a section in the tackle guide uh, 10 great pellet waggler rods for a hundred pound or less and again this seasonality piece now as the water's warming and the fish are rising towards the surface for those fishing commercial venues um, and actually a lot of venues where shallow fishing is, comes to the fore a pellet waggler rod is a versatile piece of kit anyway you don't have to fish a pellet waggler on there but they're made for that type of fishing um angling times are reacting to that and these go from everything from i've mentioned before my leader concept of a gt rod i've a 13 foot one that i use for waggler fishing i think it cost me like 40 quid and that's the same price point for their two-piece rods which come in 10 11 and 12 foot so there's a those are budget conscious it's in there and it even says um Cheaper ships, surprisingly good performers. We would challenge even a seasoned expert to pick fault with this range given the budget price. Up to £100, the likes of your Guru Engage Pellet Waggler Rods. Um, Midi's got their 5G, Preston's of the Monster X, etc. So if you're in the market for a new Pellet Waggler, because it is that time of the year, then there is a wide variety available at a reasonable price point. Now, just one range that I want to highlight. Um, I actually bought one just because of the price point. It wasn't a pellet waggler rod, but it's this range by Dio. It's called the Matchman range. And these are between 45 and £50. Pound. Um, pellet waggler wise, they're doing a 10, 11, 12, and even a 13 foot, all for 49.99. I went for the nine foot method feeder rod. And that arrived uh, this week. I've not had a chance to use it yet, but just picking the thing up, I can't believe it cost me £45. And I can't wait to get out on the bank and give that a go. I've, I bought it really just because it's one of those I can whack in the hold all and it can come out when I need to. I have a little eight foot picker, a wand type rod, but this is just that little bit more substantial. And for fishing a method down the margins, which I spoke about um, in the press pack, that feature that Alex does, um, on Lindholm it's a great tactic and you just want that little bit of extra length just to poke it out along the rushes along the inside and to plop a little feeder or a bomb down there so this range from Daiwa is one for me to highlight because not only the pellet waggler rods but the feeder range uh, is very versatile too 
Out the back of that, there's a selection, eight of the best pellet wagglers available um, from like soft, stubby type uh, floats that land without that big splash through to the more traditional ones uh, made from balsa or plastic, etc. So all sorts here from Midi, from Daiwa, from Drennan, um, Preston's Precision ones as well, those little short, stumpy uh, shorties from Drennan as well. So if you're in the market for a waggler, pellet waggler setup, have a little look at Angling Times this week and that should give you some good ideas because it's a tactic now that as that water's warming up, it's really going to come to the fore. It's a busy method. Don't forget, you know, you've got to keep feeding. You've got to keep changing the depth. You've got to keep casting regularly as well. It's not a case of just firing a couple of pouches, casting over the top and hoping that, you know, the rod gets ripped out of your hands. It just doesn't work that way. So have a little look in angling times this week because uh, it will give you a good heads up for pellet waggler fishing. Bit of a tried and tested piece for me, a purchase that I've made recently is, and I said I wouldn't do it on a previous podcast. I always said, oh, all these hard case hold holds, I, I, I just don't see the point in them. I'm, I'm not ready to give up my traditional hold all with all the tubes, etc. Well, I did. I, I, I sort of, I got tempted when I was in my local shop at Fishing Evolution and I purchased the Matrix hard case. And in there, uh, I read, it said, um, your pole and 30 top kits. I thought, surely not. Surely it's 30 top kits or your pole or your pole and 15 top kits as an example. But no, I have to say, um, inside my hold all, I managed to, I don't have them all in there, but I managed to think I fitted in 26 top kits. Uh, not all the long short pieces. I got six of them in. And then I think I got 20 top twos, which were folded over as well as my pole, as well as my dolly butt extension as well, as well as a landing handle and a cupping kit. So it's so much space saving, um, really easy to carry around. You know, I'm not crashing it all over the house when I bring it in. And it's just a real good way of um, of saving space. So yes, I went down that route. I've used it a half a dozen times or so now. Um, there are rumours that the zips leak on some of these hard cases. I've not been in the rain just yet, but what I will do is when it does rain, I'll just turn it over, make sure that my zip's not facing the rain. So uh, yeah, I, that's a, a purchase that I've made. Uh, I, I sort of fell in with the crowd, if you like. That would be my tried and tested piece, but only tested on half a dozen occasions so far. And I mentioned earlier on when we were speaking about improving course fishing that there are these new starter kits from Shakespeare. And I mentioned a classic brand. It really is. My first rod, which I borrowed off my brother, was a Shakespeare rod, um, 10 foot. Um, it's a bit like a banana, to be fair, but I caught a few fish on it. And Tony, our friend who we've just been speaking to in the forum, uh, tests these two new kits from Shakespeare. They're called Challenge XC kits. Um, there is a pole kit for $69.99 and a float kit for $99.99. And the idea is that it's an out-of-the-box setup that can get you fishing straight away and uh, and hopefully get you hooked on our sport forever. And Tony gives these a real good testing. It's well worth having a look at these. He puts them to the test. It's, it's a live test. It's called the Shakespeare Challenge XC Kit, where he uses the pole, he uses the waggler setup and talks you through the benefits of them. There's also a video attached to this. You just scan the QR code on page 86 and you can see the video of Tony putting these kits through their um, paces. And when you think about that value, um, $69.99 for the, um, the pole setup. Now, that can get you up and running and fishing. It's got rigs included, it's got instructions to get you going straight away. But we did discuss on the forum that starting with a waggler 
would be better because that will give you more skills as you move forward in your angling development. But either or, it doesn't matter. Anything that gets somebody into fishing as a kickoff um, and whets the appetite, then, you know, it's all more power to them, really. So have a look at that. If you're in the market maybe for a youngster or you're just starting out and you want to try pole fishing, not done that before, for a minimal outlay, that's one way to go. On to the new gear guide and in Improve Your Course Fishing, there's a bit of something for everybody. I've just spoke about hard cases. This reviews the Preston hard case, similar price point to the Matrix one that I've just got. Um, a nice little short feeder rod. I've just told you about the Daiwa one was Shimano. The Aero X1 is in that price range of £51.99. I said before about Shakespeare's specimen range, and that's its name. It's SKP. And on this feeder chair, wow, I mean, well, you could have a kip in that. No, no problem at all. It's got all the accessories that you need, side trays, ground bait trays, any accessories that you want to add on, you can uh, stick onto this uh, this chair. The chair starts at £159.99. So for those with back issues, then this could be um, an option for you too. Okay, something I quite like in match fishing now. Page 54, you've got Tony Kurd, who, for those that don't know, southern-based angler, been in many big money finals, former map consultant, um, but now he's working for Match Fishing Magazine. So it's great. So you get somebody that's been involved with the tackle industry for a long time as a consultant, now coming into the angling media, and he's doing some reviews. And he tests out this uh, Daiwa tournament feeder reel. 25 QD saying claims it's the best reel ever. Now, bear in mind, this is a reel that's got an RRP of 435 quid. So this isn't a cheap piece of kit. This is high end match tackle. And for somebody to say potentially the best reel that, you know, he's ever, <laughs> ever used for big feeder fishing is, well, it's impressive. So certainly not my end of the sky. I have got some high end uh, tackle items from back in the day, not recently, um, but I certainly don't spend that sort of money on, on reels, but I know people that do and why not? If you can, you know, if you can afford to get the best you can, great. But I like the fact that we've got Tony Kerr doing these reviews now, which is great. Onto the more generic section, which starts at, let me just find the page is page 76, the new gear section, bit of all sorts coming out. So new elastics from Milo, uh, new feeder S from Midi. Um, some luggage from Newfish, uh, but the bits and pieces that was one for me was uh, let's have a little look. It is yes, brown and silver like landing net handle. Loads of landing net handles come out. You've had the Guru ones, the F one, and the four meter one. Um, I believe that Drennan, uh, sorry, Matrix will be coming out of a new one as well. Um, and now we've got one from Browning. Um, the idea is it says a stiff landing net handle is just a job for silverfish angling. Is made to the highest standards. Slender diameter means the handle flies through the hands when speed fishing and lightweight makes it light in the hand for fatigue free fishing when bites are coming thick and fast. 130 quid. But it's interesting to see a landing net's been put together for natural venues, for silverfish fishing. Um, if you're on a drain, you're fishing a whip, um, something along those lines, then that again, it's high end, high price uh, point, but um, that will serve a need, I'm sure. There's a you know, big, big um natural following if you like another one uh page 82 talking about reels from the sublime down to the more budget conscious from that diary down to the latest akuma so this is the same uh, xt match reel um tony curd again takes a look at it gives it a nice review it's something that's coming in at sort of 57 pound it looks a lot more high-end than that it looks a real smart piece of kit but interesting part with akuma you'll see a lot of focus on that 
uh, lately because it's now distributed through Normark. Normark, same company as Dynamite Baits. Um, so there's a lot more focus on trying to get it, the brand into the UK market. Akuma are a Taiwanese company, um, so it's not your you know, cheaper end of, of Far East Asia, shall we say. So really good piece of kit. Looks great for the price. It's the same at XT, it's called. Um, four and three thousand sizes. The only thing that Tony does say is that he would love to see a five and six thousand size as well. So that's a little bit from the magazines. What I did also do as well is ask our friends at Fishing Evolution here in Lincolnshire what has been selling well in store. So I got a bit of a, an overview broken down into two parts, really, sort of uh, big ticket items and also day to day tackles. So big ticket items. Um, they have to say that the Superium pole range, which has been launched with massive aplomb and fanfare, is going down a treat. Um, they have sold out pretty much of everything that they've had in stock and, and orders are, are, are back on backlist. Also, the Wolf Mozzie Zapper. So the carp anglers are going for these uh, these little zappers to get rid of the mozzies. Absolutely. If an evening when you're next to water, it can be terrible. So that sounds like a great purchase. And also, they said other big ticket items is the Daiwa Black Widow Unhooking Match. is a great price point for fish care. Smaller items flying out the door. The whole new range of Sonya Baits has been selling ridiculously well, the chaps have said. Um a number of floaters from various bait companies. So as we said before about pellet waggler fishing, as the fish are moving up towards the surface layers, then these floating baits are coming in as well. Um, and also another one, big seller, various companies, various brands, but polarized uh, sunglasses. I've got a matrix pair and I couldn't do without them from this time of year. Once that sun starts coming and winter, when you've got those clear crisp sunny days in winter and the sun's really low then a good pair of polarized specs as well but for summer they're an absolute must one thing i'd say just to wrap up the tackle shed piece would be you know i'd love if we could have your interaction if you have come across an item of tackle that you've used abused and you think everybody else would benefit um from something like that then give us a shout drop us an email you can message me um, through the facebook page or you can send me an email to eastwoodangling at gmail.com so that's it that is the end of this episode it's been really interesting putting together the forum and having a number of anglers like-minded people talking about the angling media piece so hopefully you enjoyed that and i'll get my thinking cap back on for the next episode which will be available in another month or so so thanks for listening and tight lines Thank you.